We are in a series called Making Jesus Famous. Now, uh, we've got two scriptures. One is our, our what scripture, and the other is our how scripture. Our what scripture is, is Mark chapter 1, verse 28. The Bible says that immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. That is the what? To make the name of Jesus famous. But more than just the name, to make the presence of Jesus famous. Because I believe that we're in a place, hear my heart in this, okay? And if you're visiting with us from, a, from another doctrine or theology today, I, I believe that the name of Jesus is pretty famous here. And, and I give credit where credit's due. The name of Jesus is famous. I'm, I'm not so sure that the personal relationship that Jesus desires to have directly with his children is quite as famous. The name of Jesus could be famous, but Jesus wants more than just his name to be famous. He wants the personal relationship that you have with him to be famous in your life, in your home, in this church, in the community, and the people that are around. So how do we do that? How do we make not just the name of Jesus famous, but the personal relationship that Jesus died for the individual to have with him? Well, John chapter 3, verse 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. We will never do anything in the kingdom of God of eternal value that does not cost us something. Everybody's in, they're all in, as long as the going is good. And, and one of those things, I, and I'll even be open, this is kind of confessions of a pastor here, I really didn't want to split a good thing up. I really didn't want to take what felt good in a room and cut it in half. Because I knew that it was not going to feel as good as a full room. But my vision for this place is to not, not just to have a room full on a Sunday. My vision for this place is to have a people that are obsessed with the vision of God, the relationship that they have with Jesus on behalf of somebody else. My vision for this place is not to have a full house on Sunday morning only, but to have a full body of believers who are meeting people and growing closer to God together. That is my heart for this place. If I just wanted to have 340 people pack into a room, pull out chairs, and make it look really good as you drive by, we could have done that last Sunday. But the reason that we split it up is because we're not trying to hit a number. We're trying to have attendance. We don't want people to just show up. We want people to stay. And we got to prepare a place for them to plan. See, if you have an expectation of something that guys want to do, you got to what? Prepare the field. You got to make a way. And we live in a society of convenience. We live in a consumer driven society. I almost said something I shouldn't. Sorry. Thank you, Lord. I am not going to sit back and watch somebody else make it more convenient for a believer or a non believer to be involved in something on Sunday. I'm not going to sit back and watch corporate America be more involved in, in consumerism and convenience than the church of America. The, living the life that Jesus has is hard enough. Attending church on Sunday should be the most easy thing that somebody wakes up on a Sunday morning and does. 
Because the gospel in itself is offensive, we don't have to be offensive with the way that we present the gospel. The gospel will challenge every fiber in your being, but people are chosen to love people into that challenge. Jesus pulled gold out of the mouth of a fish so he, because he said, so that we do not offend for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because he understood that the gospel was the power to change a life, not the person that tried to share it. Come on, you understand what I'm saying? So I'm okay with not having quite the same feeling. Because living for Jesus ain't about feeling anyway. It's about believing. If you follow your feelings, you're going to follow them all the way in the pit of hell. But you follow Jesus, you're going to follow him straight to the throne room. And that's where we're trying to end up. You understand what I'm saying? So I get it. Like, I wish, I, I'd love to just have one service and pat myself on the back. Oh, man, we had 340 people last week. We had to pull out chairs, and we got ruts in our yard down the street. I mean, police officers were getting mad. Well, that's great. Now we made the city mad, and <laughs> we got to stop doing something. That we, Why don't we just make room? So here's the message this morning. Hey, make room. No, it's not the message. Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 27, verse 58. As you turn in there, let me just share a little moment of vulnerability that happened in my life. I was sick a few years back, and um, like any sick person would do, I, I, I decided finally um, to go to the doctor. And uh, I didn't want to just go to the doctor. I actually wanted a shot. In fact, I called around. I wanted to know which doctor would give me a shot. Because I went to a doctor that somebody referred me to before, and I paid him $120 for him to send me to Walmart to spend $80 on vitamins. And I really appreciated the prayer that he said with me before I left. But I, in that moment, I, I know how to pray. I can pray for myself. I wanted a shot. You got something that I don't have, and I need you to deliver. And he didn't. And so, so I went to a different doctor, and I met this guy. And, and, and you know, I, I basically, he came in, and, hey, what's bothering you? I need a shot. Well, okay, what kind of, well, what's bothering you? It's bothering me that I'm having to explain why I need a shot. <laughs> like, I, I need to feel better. I want a Celestone shot. And he's like, how do you even know what that, somebody's giving you a Celestone shot? And not recently, but I mean, I've had one before. If I had one last week, I wouldn't come to you again this week because then I'd have a, a problem, obviously. Give me a shot! So no, he, his, he, uh, he, you know, we went through the checkup, and, and ultimately he, he agreed. He's like, all right, you want a shot? I'll give you a shot. You grown man, you can have a shot. So he sends in the nurse, and she was just a sweet little nice girl. You know, she comes in, and I get the shot. And, and man, she stopped. I was like, oh, oh, that's a little different. I don't remember feeling that last time I had this shot. Maybe it's just been too long. It's just been too long. So I get, I get everything together, and I'm walking down the hallway, and I was like, golly, what in the world? She like hit a nerve I didn't know existed. And it wasn't her. I, I got up to the front desk and I was thinking, I'm even praying down the hall. I was like, Lord, I gotta go out to the ball field this afternoon, like hit stuff. Man, I can't. My, my hip's stoving up on me right now. What is the deal? I got up to the front of the thing and there was this lady sitting there. She goes, Everything go okay? I was like, Yeah, I got a shot. That's what it came for. I wanted to get a shot. And I was like, You know, I'm feeling kind of sick. I don't think I'm, a, and I just passed out. Boom, fell on the ground. Thankfully, there was this really nice, healthy, strong lady standing behind me. <laughs> because I, I, without warning, I just came. And I didn't say, like, nobody had oil on their hand and walked up. There was no warning or preparation or nothing. I just, 
I just went for it. <laughs> and all I, all I remember next, apparently she caught me and laid me down softly because I didn't have a knot on my, on my head or anything. I just remember next, it was like being in the ER scene. You remember that show, ER? It was like being in that scene where you have a camera in your throat and you're looking up in the air and all the surgeons are around you with masks on and things are happening and you're laying in it. But I was on the floor. So I woke up and the first thought I had was not the first thing I said. Thank God. Ever, if, listen, it's okay not to say the first thing that you think, okay? It's like, sometimes it's better not to. So the first thing I thought was not the first thing I said, but the first thing I thought was, is there not a, one dude in this hospital? Because as I'm looking up, there's like seven women around me. Well, like, I know I'm a good-looking guy, but my God, is there a man in here somewhere? I'm like... What's been going on for the last five minutes? So I'm looking around, and, and eventually the first thing I said was, what happened? And, and one of them said, well, you had a vasovagal reaction to the shot, and you, you passed out. And I was like, well, am I going to be okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. We just need to help you up, and you're going to go. So eventually they helped me up. They gave me some Midol, and I was okay a few minutes later. Verse 58 of Matthew chapter 27 we talked about Joseph of Arimathea, and I'm going to explain the point of that story here in just a second. The Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate, begged for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. Verse 59, when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. Watch this. Now he rolled. He didn't ask somebody else to do it. He didn't call a pastor. Mm-hmm. He rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Now, here's where we're going to settle in today. Verse 61 says, And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting against the sepulcher. My question today is a question that I had in the story a minute ago. Where did the men go? And I'm going to take it even further because this is not an opportunity for me to bash all the men in the room, but to take it even a step further, where did the disciples go? That's the question that we want to answer today. Where are the disciples? It's the Sunday after Easter, the Sunday after the resurrection. Where are the disciples? I heard this uh, story earlier this week. This is, uh, this is very similar to the um, You Twit Face app that we're creating. It doesn't really exist. It's not real. Um, it, this, is, this is not doctrinally sound. Okay, It's not a true story, but it illustrates my point. And so the story is, is that uh, the Lord was in heaven, and, and all at once a large group of men and women came into the kingdom all at the same time. Okay, uh, I don't know if they drank the Kool-Aid or what the deal was, but they were all there, and they came into the kingdom all at the same time. And so the Lord said, all right, I want all of the men who led their wives and led their families to stand over here. And I want all of the men who were led by their wives to stand over here. And then I want all the ladies to follow St. Peter because... He's going to take you to Mary Magdalene and, and Mary the Virgin, the mother of Jesus, because they were the only ones that were still left when everybody was supposed to still be there. So all the ladies got to go visit with Mary Magdalene and all the men stood before the Lord. And, and the Lord looked up and the, the line of men who were led by their wives was, I mean, just as far as the eye could see. Can you, can you visualize this with me? I mean, just 
all the men, you know, <laughs> standing there. And then there's one dude standing on this side. And he's standing there all by himself. Nobody else is around. And the Lord looks down and he knows why that guy's standing there. He knows what he did to be standing in that line. But he wants him to share it with the rest of the men. So he, as the Lord does at times, he will chastise his children. And he says to the men, I created you first from me. And then I took rib from you and I created her and, and she was to be a companion for you, but you were anointed to lead, and you were anointed to, to minister. Now, that word submit that I gave to you, it doesn't mean that you like overpower. This is not a dictatorship in the home, but it's a word that means to support and companion with one another. It's not for you to be led by her. And here you are standing in this line. So he leans over to the other guy, and he says, all right, I want you to tell all of them what you did why you're standing in this line and instead of that one, because they need to hear the reason that you are standing in this line. And he goes, my wife told me to come stand in this one. <laughs> my question today is, uh, where are the disciples? See, what's happening in this generation is the same thing that happened from the beginning of time. The women are being plundered by Lucifer one at a time. And the men are being led astray by the women one at a time. The men are then not willing to accept the responsibility for their straying or for their disobedience. Instead, it's easier to blame the woman and even to blame God, as Adam did. The woman, no better in her attempt, is not willing to accept the responsibility for her sin, so she blames the devil. Well, the devil's been messing with me, preacher. Are you sure you're not just being disobedient? <laughs> Maybe you need more discipline and less blame. Well, the devil's been coming after me. I need, to, I need you to pray. And someday, listen, I'm not, I'm not degrading spiritual warfare here at all. But sometimes, did you know that the devil is not omnipresent? Okay, There's only one devil. Now, there was a third of heaven that fell with him, and I don't know how many powers and principalities of darkness. I understand our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against those powers and principalities. But sometimes, it's not everybody else's fault that you're where you are. It's not everybody else's fault that you feel the way that you feel. See, God wanted Adam and the woman to follow him in fellowship, in perfect harmony. That is why he created man and woman. To support one another and follow Jesus together. He, his desire was for them to be in perfect relationship with him. But instead they replaced him with everything else. And today his church is no better. In John chapter 6, Jesus, I, I, I communicated this last week, just right there at the end, but John chapter 6, Jesus makes this statement about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. And it wasn't like a really weird buffet that Jesus was trying to call everybody to. He was calling them to be willing to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Because he understood that, that, that sometimes things were going to get difficult. And he understood that the same disciples that were standing there in that moment were going to be the disciples that disappeared when only Mary and the other Mary were willing to stick around. Why did they disappear? Why did they leave? Why did they scatter like ants under a hammer? 
The reason that they scattered is because what they expected didn't come to pass. Did you know that sometimes God will lead you down a path that you did not expect? Things will not work out the way that you expected or wanted them to. But the question at the end of the day is, are you going to disappear or are you going to continue to be a disciple? Jesus was excited that all these people were following him through the wilderness. He was so excited that he performed one of the miracles that pastors still talk about every other week, and especially when it's time to give. But we love to talk about the bread and the fish multiplying in the hands of Jesus. I'm telling you, if you just hand it over to me, I'll give it to Jesus on your back. No, it was, it was about the miracle of God and, and them taking everything that they have and saying, Here, Jesus, I trust you with it more than I trust myself. And in the midst of all of those miracles and all of those things, the Bible says that that day many people left. When Jesus said, Only those who would drink of my blood and eat of my flesh would be my disciples, that day many people, the Bible says, and many of them returned home. But we see the 12 stay. Now, I don't know why they stayed. Maybe they were just like so confused that they didn't care. I've done that before. Like, wait, what just happened? Where's everybody going? And then, and then somebody's like proud of me for sticking it out. Like, hey, I'm glad you stayed, brother. I'm like, me too, obviously. Chest bump, you know? But, but, but they stayed, and so I don't know if they thought they were about to have, like, but then they start asking, like, okay, hey, uh, do you need me to, like, get a cup and a fork, or what, is, what does this story mean, drink your blood and eat your flesh? Are you serious? Like, you got some, like, sauce or something, because this is going to get a little, like, some sweetener, maybe some Worcestershire, I, mean, I don't know what, you, what you're trying to figure, but I'm here. Right, The 12 stayed. When Jesus said, drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, the 12 stayed. But when Jesus said, I was going to die and be resurrected, they disappeared when he did what he said he would do. Why is that? It doesn't make any sense to me. And the only thing that I can come up with is because they didn't believe him. They didn't believe when he said, this world is going to give you a persecuted life. And the only way that you're going to endure is if you're willing to carry the same cross that I carry. Where are the disciples? And you are the means altogether. You are the reason that this church exists. But there are people that need to be sitting in the empty chairs around you. And it's not up to the pastoral staff to reach those people. It's up to the people that are in the chairs right now. The only reason that people will come to this church is not because they care about me. It's because you care about them. I have seen a lot of student ministries grow. I've seen a lot of churches take off. And it was was it just because some pastor came in, lit everything on fire, and then had some kind of immoral failure and falls off the wagon and then the church disappears? You know what that tells me? It tells me that they were looking more to a man than the creator of all men. And if you will get the same fire inside of you, become obsessed with the same things, when people are doing ministry, that's when the church grows. You know who grow the youth ministries that we've been a part of? Not us, the students. It's when God does something in the life of a disciple, and that disciple cannot sit on their morals and look down on everybody else, but they're willing to bow down at their feet and wash them just like Jesus did. I'm here to do whatever it takes for you to experience the same thing that I've been experiencing. That is a disciple. That is a follower of Christ. See, Mary Magdalene was the only one that stayed. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. There's four traits that made Mary Magdalene unlike anyone else. If you're taking notes today, number one, Mary Magdalene 
was a product of Jesus' ministry. She was a product of Jesus' ministry. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Soon afterward he went through the cities and villages, that's Jesus, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. There they are. There's the disciples. They're with him. They're, they're going everywhere. They're doing everything that they can do. Verse 2. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Now Magdalene was not her last name. It was the place that she was from. And Magdala was a port on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And Magdala is actually known for its harlotry, for its um, blasphemy. It was a place uh, that a lot of people would go, and they would, it was the New Orleans, if you will, of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, That's where everybody would go to do what they wanted to do. It was actually known for prostitution. It was known for its sin. It was known for its heresy. It's known for its blasphemy. And this is where Mary Magdalene came from. This is why she was called this. So she was assumed to be, if you read in Luke chapter 7, right before this passage in Luke chapter 8, you see this woman in sin. That's how the Bible refers to her. They don't give her name. Luke doesn't give her name in this passage. He just says, a woman in sin. And this woman would be the woman that we would refer to as having laid out the alabaster jar. Before Jesus, she was the one that would wash his feet with her tears and anoint him with the oil of the alabaster jar. And so some theologians believe that this was Mary Magdalene who came in in her sin and was then forgiven by Jesus. Some people even believe that she was the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. I don't personally believe that because it doesn't line up geographically. The woman caught in the act of adultery was brought uh, when Jesus was teaching in the temple in Jerusalem. Mary was from Magdala. I'm not sure how that arrives. But the one thing that we do know is that Mary was possessed by seven demons. Now, I don't know what you brought in here today, but so far, nobody's manifested. <laughs> okay? So whatever you're carrying, um, it may feel heavier to you, but it's unlikely that there are seven demons that have currently possessed you or your spouse. Okay, listen, just speak that into them right now. It's unlikely. We know for a fact, though, that Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons. And here's what else we know in verse 61. Mary Magdalene, who was likely a prostitute possessed by seven demons, was sitting with Mary, the mother of Jesus, the apple of God's eye, the chosen one who the Holy Spirit helped conceive the Son of God, the one that was without spot or blemish and that was worthy enough to bear the Son of God. Mary Magdalene, the prostitute and demon-possessed, was sitting at the empty Tomb, I'm sorry, was sitting at the, the, the burial of Jesus Christ with what we know to be the other Mary. 
or the mother of Jesus. Listen, this is the picture that Jesus would like to see portrayed in the church today. That Mary Magdalene, the possessed prostitute, would feel comfortable sitting in the chair with Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the sanctuary. That the one that is inked up, tatted up, pierced up, would be able to come into the house of God and feel like they're still a child of God, even though their life is still jacked up. Do you understand that we are no better than anybody else, and God is still today no respecter of persons? It is the place where the worst of these would feel right at home with the best of these and there is no in between the only thing that separates the church of God from the broken in Christ is the blood of Jesus and when people understand that the only reason that they're anything is because he gave his everything then it changes the way that we look at those who are hurting and broken no longer do we look down upon them but we bend down where they are and we say I know where you've been and I've heard it like you hurt I'm no better than you but let me tell you about the one who said he was going to give his life let me tell you about the one that I've become to know personally I know that you look at me and you may think that I think I'm better than you I know that I bore the perfect son of all but I'm telling you that I am no better off than you if it weren't for him so Mary Magdalene was a product of the ministry of Jesus And because of Jesus, she was able to sit with the mother of Jesus. See, that's what I was talking about last week. When when the younger generation who appreciates the convenience of things meets with the older generation who appreciates the consistency of things. And... And the church that Jesus wants to have is the young Mary Magdalene that does not resent the older, wiser mother of Jesus. And the older, wiser mother of Jesus doesn't judge the younger, sometimes more attractive, interested person that Mary Magdalene was. Because judgment doesn't begin with the people of God. It begins in the people of God. We don't live in the past or resent the past. We just look to Jesus because we understand that he sees something better. Number two. She was a supporter of Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 8, verse 3. We just saw Mary Magdalene, who was possessed by seven demons. And, and now we see Anne Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others. Many others, watch this, who provided for them, Jesus and the disciples, out of their means. Who supported the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. Why do we receive tithes and offerings every Sunday? Because in our culture, in order to do the ministry that God has called us to do, we need the support of God's people in order to see it come to pass. And if we don't do it, then somebody else will. 
And somebody else will get to raise the sheep that we were sent to raise because we weren't willing to support the cause. So that's why we ask for what we ask for, the way that we ask for it. That's why we, we, we come the way that we come. That's why I preach the way that I preach. Mary Magdalene was willing to support the ministry no matter what it cost her, no matter what it looked like. Will you still be willing to support the ministry Unless God uncalls you from this place, will you not just show up, but will you stay? Will you not just look around on the ship for a visit, but would you, would you get on board and support the cause of Christ in this place? Would you support the vision of this church to meet people and to grow closer to God together? Even if those people don't look, act, or think like you. See, I've asked the question for a long time, Lord, how do we reach this generation who's confused about the gender that you were created them to walk in? How do we reach a gender-confused generation? How do we reach the homosexual? Well, most of the time, we just reach for homophobia. Well, the Lord gave me a definition through another pastor that's been asking the same question. And this pastor said, and I would be in agreement with that pastor, that the church is not homosexual, but it has become homosexual. The definition of homosexual is very simply to be attracted to one like yourself. You're only attracted to your own kind. Now you tell me that homosexuality spirit hadn't taken hold of the church of God. Because if you look around in this place, I see a pretty good diversity. But there's a large demographic of people represented in this city. That if we're not careful, we're going to become just as homosexual as, pe as we expect people not to be. It's when we're willing to meet the people that other people are not willing to meet. It's when we're willing to minister to the people that other people aren't willing to minister to. I can tell you when I'll be satisfied, at least for a short season, is when this room is packed, not once but twice on a Sunday morning, and it looks more like Walmart. I almost said something I shouldn't again. When it looks more like Walmart, in White Wall Street because we're going to be really uncomfortable in the kingdom of God if we don't start operating in his will today this is not a country club this is a church of Jesus Christ and we were called to this city to make a difference we were called to such a time as this to a people like this and listen I know that this is heavy and that was a little forward but somebody encouraged me and I don't know if we're just in line together or y'all just had to eat what Jesus has been making us chew on but whatever it is I know Mary Magdalene supported the ministry of Jesus and Mary Jesus's mother was willing to support her number three as Pastor John would come I told you that Jesus is excited that you showed up Jesus is excited about the 340 people that we had at Easter. Praise God. He's excited about the 220 that came on the 9 o'clock service on Easter morning. He's excited about the 120 that came this morning. 
But my question is not who will show up. My question is who will stay. See, the third characteristic that separates Mary Magdalene from anyone else, even the 12 men disciples. By the way, they weren't white. They were Jewish, so chew on that for a second. <laughs> they were purer than we, than we are. And yet they were missing the promise because they weren't willing to stay. Where did the disciples go? I don't know, but I know that they didn't stay. You know what's wrong with us? Is that we think that McDonald's resembles Christianity. That we can have it our way when we want it. That we're a microwave generation, but he's a crockpot God. See, what he wants to do is going to take a little time in you. Now, you can have a moment that can launch you into a ministry. But I can promise you, if you don't continue to have those moments, you're going to hit burnout before you ever make a difference. God wants to hone this thing. He wants to be the fire and you be the gold. He wants to purify you. He wants to be the one that would come by and prune and you be the one that's connected to the vine that would be willing to let him shed things off of you that don't belong. See, it's not nearly as important that you make a decision as it that you'll make a decision to go the distance to your divine destiny. Because anybody can start something, but I'm telling you, it takes somebody anointed by the Spirit of God to finish what he called you to. And Mary Magdalene was willing to stay when nobody else was willing to stand. She didn't understand it. She didn't feel it. It wasn't right why was Jesus dead she even questioned it and it's okay to ask the spirit of God your questions when you're standing in the midst of death sometimes that thing hurts more than it's supposed to sometimes it feels heavier than you could ever balance sometimes there is some distance between the promise spoken and the promise secured it's that time between that time when you felt like God spoke something in your life or God freed you from something in your life his presence was revealed in you and his presence is fulfilled in you we are still in that time right now church we are still in the time between the death and the resurrection there are bodies that are asleep today waiting on the day of resurrection to come to pass there are spirits that are standing with Jesus right now waiting to meet their body in the air for the resurrection to come but there is a church that is alive in Christ that is here on this earth that's supposed to be making a bigger difference for the kingdom of God than the LGBT or any other organization that exists today but the reason that we can't do it is because we're not united the way that they should be you explain to me how 12 disciples could see Jesus raise a dead man and yet when he died they would disappear the same disciples that stood outside of the tomb of Lazarus would disappear when it came time to stand outside of the tomb of Jesus the same disciples that heard him speak three words that raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. You know why he called his name? Because if he wouldn't have said Lazarus, every dead man, woman, and child within hearing distance would have come up out of the ground and started walking around Jerusalem like they did when he died. Why did Jesus just have to speak three words to raise a dead man? And yet, in John chapter 17, he had to pray five times for his disciples to stay united. He said, make them one. 
as I am in you, make them one. Make them one. Make them one. Make them one. Five times Jesus prayed to the Father, make them one. And yet three words raised a dead man to life. Because even Jesus knows that it is easier to raise a dead man than it is to keep diversity out of the church. It's easier to raise a dead man than it is to keep a people united for a cause. And I'm not going to let the sons of darkness be wiser than the sons of light. I'm going to become united in the cause of Christ. And I want to be like Mary Magdalene, who number four, and finally, because she was a product of Jesus' ministry and because she supported Jesus' ministry, because she stayed with Jesus, finally, she was used by Jesus. I told you last week that it was the women who came the next morning to anoint the body. Not to embalm the body for burial, but to anoint the body for resurrection. They didn't even know what they were doing, but they were coming because they were being obedient. Have you ever had something in your heart that you expected to happen, but everything around you told you that it wasn't? Have you ever carried this desire that you didn't even, weren't even able to identify, but you just sensed? That God had something in store, so you kept showing up. Well, this day, John writes about what Mary was expecting. The Bible says that Mary came to the tomb that morning, early that morning. She came early. She didn't wait till after the first song was halfway through. My bad. She came early. She didn't wait so she maybe slip in in the prayer time and not feel convicted to come forward. She didn't wait until everybody bowed their head and nobody was looking around because I got to go get something done. She came early. Come on, look. If I can't be me, y'all will never like me, so we may as well start now. The Bible says she came to the tomb early the next morning and it was empty. And she didn't celebrate. She cried. She went back to Peter and John, the disciples, and John writes about this. He says, Peter took off and the other disciple came. And then he writes, and the other disciple outran him to the tomb. I'm like, just use your name, bro. You're faster than Peter. Good for you. Celebrate it. Smoke that sucker. <laughs> there I was, waiting on Peter. Always, <laughs> always getting left behind. He might have stepped out the boat first, but I beat that sucker to the tomb. So Peter gets to the tomb, and he looks in after John's been standing there looking in. Peter's like, get out of the way. I denied this dude. Where did he go? Where is he? Why is he not here? He had to have heard me. The rooster crowed like he said. He's dead now. He's not dead. Is he dead? I don't know. Why is this shod laying here? And the Bible says that one of the things was folded like a napkin. The thing that was covering his face was taken off and it was folded up because Jesus revealed his revelation on purpose. He was ready to show off. He took the time to fold the thing that was covering his face because he wanted to make sure that they knew I took it off. I folded it up. 
up and you're about to see something that you've never seen before. So Peter's in the tomb and John comes in after and the Bible says this. Check this out. This is the craziest thing. The Bible says that as they're in the tomb, they remembered the words of Jesus and they believed. And then they went back home. That made me want to swear. They were in the tomb. They were at Easter Sunday. They heard about the power of God. They sat in the chair every week. And yet every week, week after week, word after word, anointing after anointing, call after call, faith after faith, moment after moment, they went back home and did nothing. That's what we're doing. We come and we get the feel goods. We get the chill bumps. We're even slain in the spirit. We speak in new tongues. We're empowered by his spirit. We have a moment in the presence of God. He delivers us from darkness. Our sin and our shame is broken off of us and left in the altar. And we turn around and we say, thank you, Lord. I believe again. And we go back home and sit on our couch. And we wonder why the church is empty and why the world is going to hell in a handbasket and why the millennials are having more influence than the baby boomers. It is our time to stand up, to confess what we've done wrong, not to just believe again and go back home. But Mary, I love it. But Mary, the prostitute, the demon possessed, she stood outside again and she cried over the empty grave and she looked in and because she was willing to stay just a moment longer, she saw an angel. And after she saw an angel, she turned around. And Jesus had received his glorified body. And she says, sir, if you know where he is, please tell me so that I can go and bring him back. I'm willing to drag the body of Jesus by myself if I have to. I'm just not willing to see it torn to pieces and disrespected. And the man that she thought was a gardener was actually the son of God. So transformed by the resurrection that she didn't even recognize him, even though she had spent the last three years with him. That's a prophetic word for some of you that would come to Christ today and understand that Jesus wants to transform you so much that the people that know you the best don't even recognize you anymore. Chris Fry is a preacher? My God, yes he is. You know who is your pastor? It's a resurrected life in Christ. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus speaks to Mary and he says, You go and you tell my disciples, I am alive. I have risen. See, a lot of people think that Peter is the first evangelist that ever existed. But in biblical truth, it's not Peter that stood up on the day of Pentecost that led 3,000 people to Jesus that is the first evangelist. It's the woman, Mary Magdalene, the prostitute and the demon possessed. But can I tell you as a highlight and we close today that when the world saw a woman 
that was prostituted from Magdala, Jesus saw a daughter that would be willing to follow in freedom. When the world saw a broken down woman in the shame of her sin, Jesus saw a maiden of ministry. When the world saw a woman that was possessed by seven demons, Jesus saw a woman that would be willing to follow him in the courtyard when all the disciples disappeared. He saw a woman that would be willing to walk the street of the Via Della Rosa when everybody else had gone home. He saw a woman that would be willing to climb the hill of Golgotha when everybody else would cry alone. He saw a woman that would be bowed at the feet of his mother as he looked down from the cross and he saw Mary Magdalene crying at the foot of the tomb on the day of resurrection because when the world sees somebody that is broken down, possessed by demons, Jesus Christ sees the world's greatest evangelist, the first and the foremost, the one that would stay and endure to the very end. So I don't know what you brought in here this morning, but I'm telling you, you don't have to go out with it because Mary Magdalene may have been a prostitute possessed by a demon in the morning, but she was the world's first evangelist that afternoon. And the resurrection is still as influential today as it was 2,000 years ago. And the life that Jesus Christ has for you is still available. Because Jesus doesn't care what you've done. He cares about who you could be. He doesn't see oppression, possession. He sees a heart with potential.